0: Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jibraj, and on this podcast, I speak with founders, investors, and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode, I speak with Ankit Nagodi, founder and CEO of Cure Foods. Cure Foods is pioneering food tech innovation in India, building a multi brand cloud kitchen organization by acquiring and growing a variety of labor. Ankit Nagodi, the previous chief business officer at Flipkart and co-founder of CultFit, has transformed e-commerce and fitness in his past lives. While at CultFit, he recognized the power and future of food in India, which resulted in EatFit spinning off to become Cure Foods, a multi-brand cloud destination, and the rest is history. Today. Curefood stands at 150-plus kitchens across four-plus cities and 20-plus brands, including the likes of EatFit, CakeZone, Great Indian Khichadu, Canteen Central, and many more. To decode one of the most fascinating entrepreneurial careers and business models of the current ecosystem, I sit down with Ankit. Through the conversation, we understand Ankit's fascination for a variety of problem statements, the inception of Curefood's the differentiating outlook that Cure Foods is championing in terms of national brands plus local labels, the supply chain efficiency and org design that facilitates this unique Cloud Kitchen acquisition model, and finally break down his learnings to scale brands and master the 1-10 to phase. Ankit's passion for food, sports, fitness is distinctly visible throughout the conversation as he goes super deep and tactical in his explanations. This episode has some of the most actionable insights that I have ever witnessed, making it an absolute treat. I'm sure all of you listening shall agree. But before we get started, here is a quick word about our sponsor. This episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast is presented by Stride Ventures, which is one of India's leading venture debt funds, becoming synonymous with innovative startup financing in India. Stride Ventures provides comprehensive solutions going beyond venture debt to cater to distinctive challenges faced by high growth and inherently strong businesses backed by leading institutions. The fund has a portfolio of over 60 plus diversified companies having deployed more than 1500 crore rupees to date. In just over two years, Stride Ventures has emerged as the preferred venture debt lender in the Indian ecosystem. To know more about this phenomenal fund, visit strideventures.in, that is spelled as S-T-R-I-D-E-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot I-N. And with that, let's dive in to the 112th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast with Ankit of Cure Foods. Thank you so much, Ankit, for joining me. Incredibly delighted to be hosting you today.
1: My pleasure, Jibra. looking forward to the chat.
0: Thanks, Ankit. And I must mention that this marks the two-year completion of the podcast, so I couldn't think of anybody else more fitting than you to commemorate this wonderful feed that I've been waiting for. But as we get started, right, I think uh, one of the most fascinating aspects of your journey is the variety of different things you've done, right? So to give the audience more context, I guess you've been the CBO at Flipkart. You've seen the scale-up journey of India's largest new age company. Then you've disrupted fitness tech, as we know it, with CureFit, uh, having co-founded it. And now you're disrupting food tech, as we know it, with Cure Foods. Uh, if you had to give us a precursor of the variety of different things that you are curious about uh, and the journey that you've had, I think that would be a great precursor to the overall conversation.
1: Right, Jivras. Thank, thanks for having me over. Uh, you know, So, yeah, I think... Uh... If you look at the variety of things that you've been you know, involved in, the underlying theme has been the same, You know, to build for the new India. India, you know, is a very, very fast growing country and not saying it only from an economic uh, performance indicators point of view. But in general, you know, the population is growing, the aspirations are growing, the middle class is growing at a much faster rate than any other country in the world. And that allows for a lot of new things to be done. And if you look at Flipkart and CureFit and Cult and EatFit, CureFoods, all the brands that have been associated with over the last decade or so, actually like almost 13, 14 years now, the underlying theme has been to, you know, create new opportunities for the Indians, uh, whether it is as employees of the large companies that we've been involved in or as customers getting them access to better quality products uh, and better, you know, experience. So I think the theme has always been to, you know, to be able to do, a large part of uh, you know, market creation and hence create impact using you know, all the goodness that comes with a completely new market.
0: Absolutely, I can imagine. But just to double click there, right? Another underlying theme has been the one to 10 journey that you've seen across these brands, right? And you've spoken in the past that you really enjoy the scale up journeys at companies, right? Do you have any broad thoughts around where can companies do better when it comes to scale, especially if you found PMF? And what are some commonalities across your journeys that you've witnessed?
1: Right. So uh, Jivraj, I think, you know, before we talk about the 1 to 10, I would talk about the 0 to 1. So 0 to 1 is a a very, very important uh, milestone for a lot of companies, but actually a lot more companies are able to do 0 to 1 than 1 to 10. And the reason behind this is that 0 to 1 is more like artsy than, you know, running a business. You know, you, you can do a lot of creative stuff there. If you have the prettiest looking product, you will still get your first 10,000 customers, even if it's not the most economical, either for the customer or for the company selling it, you know, or, or any software, you know, which can be you know being designed for 10,000 specific customers may not scale for 100,000 customers, you know, in the SaaS world or the B2B world. So, so I think the zero to one journey is very useful to identify people who are at least willing to create a new product in a new market, but then comes the filter. So that's the product market fit. You will create a product and you'll find customers, but the real challenge comes in finding a business model fit. And that's where, you know, most Startups get filtered out in the one to 10 journey, but one to 10 is also a long journey, right? I would say that, you know, uh, Flipkart has completed the one to 10. 10- now, you know, with all these years and, you know, cult maybe had gotten to five and you know, right now eat fit and cure foods and maybe two. The the business model fit is a very, very important aspect because you need to first become unit economics profitable. Then you need to be able to become a profitable company. Then you need to be able to take care of all your one-time costs and then, you know, deliver a benchmark profit for the industry that you operate in if i take food as an example right brilliant companies are listed there uh, jubilant sapphire and of course Deviani now all of them are at a 15% benchmark either sooner or later they will get there or they were there before pandemic and to be able to you know say that i have completed the 1 to 10 journey we got to hit the benchmark metric for the industry we operate in. So I would say that zero to one is a very interesting journey. And that's where it's like a top of the funnel for the businesses that will get created in future. A lot of good companies from zero to one actually get acquired because the product would be very, very good. Just that the business model is not really sorted. So, but so the product is so good, it won't get shut down. There will be some potential taker for that. No, one to 10 is where, you know, I think, I believe that it requires a lot more discipline. I have been... Talking about it a lot, that the one to ten journey is really boring. Requires you to be like really, really perseverant and like persistent. If you have it in you to just do the same thing every day, ask the same questions every day. Of course, you're innovating while you're working on it, but your the pattern of questions don't change. You know, you have to ask the questions on SLA, contribution margin, buying and sell margin. All of those become very important. So. I still have to complete a full one to 10 journey. And I'm really hoping that Cure food is that, you know, for me, one to 10 journey would be taking the company public and operating at the 15% EBITDA that the food companies across India
0: operate at absolutely love the ambition there and love the clarity of thought i think as you mentioned i think generational defining companies are built in the one to ten phase uh, and i hope uh, all of us hope in fact that Cure foods is one of them and coming to that journey right in your current avatar you're disrupting food technology as we know it the roll-up model is very new the cloud kitchen model is very new in the country if you had to talk us through as to what you thought uh when you know Cure foods became a separate entity when you charted out by yourself taking up this leap of faith what was that uh, insight, right? How are you looking at the next 10 years when it comes to food in the country and beyond? I think getting that insight would be super interesting, Ankit.
1: Yes, Jibha. so, you know, some numbers to start with. India does about two and a half million online orders a day. This is across Swiggy, Zomato, Domino's website, our website, all the first-party websites of the brands as well. The number at different times of peaks in different countries, in US, that peak would have been 10 to 12 million and in China, that peak would have been 30 to 50 million. So uh, of course, we know that Chinese numbers are always like 10x of where we are, the internet numbers are much bigger. But I will be very conservative right now. In 5 years, will we get to 10 million orders? Possibly. If not 5 years, 10 years. But the current growth rate of the brands, even though they are like great businesses, I really think Jubilant is one of the best businesses built out of India. Even the current growth rate will not allow the current set of suppliers, you know, which is the American QSRs, great businesses growing at maybe 10, 12, 15%, you know, CAGR and the Indian multi, multi-chain or multi-outlet businesses, all the great restaurants that we go to, like we love some of those brands, right? all of them put together will not grow more than 15, 20%. It will allow them to double or even triple the, you know, order volume, but still the last quarter, which is the current market size would still be left if the market is going x. So that's one. And the other important point is as the market matures, people want a lot more brands. So even though, you know, like I know that the best food we may get at a, a, you know, Punjabi rasui, you know, I'm just making that name up, you know, it's Punjabi rasoi or, uh, or Rajasthani Thali, you know, these outlets, but they can't scale 10x. So as, as internet takes over an industry, the industry becomes a lot more structured and organized. We've seen that in fashion, we've seen that in mobile phones, you know, uh, Xiaomi, OnePlus, all of these didn't exist a decade back, right? So that just shows that as the internet takes over an industry, it becomes more brand aware. So with that logic, at least of the current market size will have to come in from new players. Now, new players can be offline first or online first. There, the thesis is very clear that, you know, given the real estate, given the standardization, given the leverage which Cloud Kitchens, you know, bring on the cost side, you know, it is a model for future. And if 2 million new orders have to get created, 4-5 large players will come up, you know. So, maybe we are there, Behrouz is one of my favorite biryani brands, and then, you know, Mojo Pizza from the Box 8 Group is one of my, like, I really li- lo- love the pizza. So I think all of us are building those brands. And in fact, people like Jubilant, you know, they are also innovating on Cloud Kitchen first brands. You know, so I think they have a biryani brand, brand Ekdam Biryani. Uh, they've done a Chinese brand called Hong's uh, Kitchen, if I'm not wrong. So this, and then Wow Momo is now in Wow Momo Chicken on Asia. So this is the, you know, industry defining period for food and beverage in the country where amazing entrepreneurs are building really love brands, you know. So today I can safely say that 80% of my eating out habit because pandemic also hastened that habit, hastened that change of habit is now ordering in, you know. So earlier, like, of course, that one outing a week still exists, but earlier you would, you know, while you're at work, step out and have a quick dosa. A lot of people still do. I also do that, but at least 50, 60, for me, 80% for many people, 50% of those quick eating incidents are actually replaced by just order. Kar and that's where the whole brand creation will come into play. Your foods, the insight is very clear. People eat four times a day, seven times a week, 28 eating occasions. So why we are doing a cloud roller because EatFit cannot fit in all those 28. When we did the consumer analysis, and of course, we've known EatFit habits for a while because uh, EatFit is part of the cult fit group and you know we had a lot of love, customer love. We figured that there is no way we will do well on you know, weekends. There is no way we'll do well on weekend brunch, weekdays, night we're missing out on 30, 40% market share. So we started looking at complementary brands. We plotted out the seven days of the week, four times of the day. And what do people eat? So we figured that EatFit, great lunch brand, Monday to Saturday. People will order it. And we, in markets, have 10% market share on Swiggy Inzimat on lunch. Lunch dal, roti, let's order. But then we had a tough time. Friday to Sunday, it was to be a big problem for us because, you know, people will not order if they are there to cheat. That's where we said we need to have a Biani brand, a couple of pizza brands, a really large dessert brand. And now, you know, after 18, 18 months of a lot of, you know, structured thinking and not just, you know, like from outside, you could see a lot of chaos, but we, you know, all our acquisitions are basically, you know, very structured as per AOV, as per, you know, eating habits. We, do, we can't just do with one biryani brand because biryani is just a catch-all term. You know, it's a very regional product. Calcutta biryani is very different from Amritsar. It's very different from Lucknowi. very different from Hyderabadi. So right now we have a Lucknowi and Hyderabadi brand and we may need some others. Like We're talking to a brand which you know sells biryani, uh, Bengali sells biryani. So we think that there is opportunity to create 10 to 12 labels mm-hmm. and 4 to 5 brands. So brands, 4 brands will be a very big thing. But I don't think we will get to more than four, five brands, but they'll have 10 to 12 labels, which will be very local brand is anything which can be sold in five metros across the country and they'll have similar customer love. You know, why Domino's is such a great brand, because, you know, if you pick the top five selling Domino's in Delhi, Bombay, not Ahmedabad, Ahmedabad is largely wedge, but Delhi, Bombay, Calcutta, Chennai, there's a high likelihood that the top five are exactly the same. You know, it'll be a pizza, the chicken overload and etc. right. So so that's how national brands are created, where national love is there, you know, life is life because the same soap is sold in many, many geographies, right? So
0: that's the current thesis. That's lovely. I think super comprehensive and gives us an insight as to the entire brainchild behind the Cure Food story. If I may, you know, double click on that last part as you were mentioning, right? Uh, So there is a lot of conjecture to whether or not the same tasting brand should exist in the North, East, South, West, right? And that is where you've spoken a lot about, you know, creating these regional local labels as well, which has been very interesting, unlike some other players who are trying to go for standardization across the board, right? So if you can give us a flavor as to you know, why this difference exists and how is it playing out in terms of data, right? Are people actually adoring the fact that, okay, I want to have the same biryani in Calcutta and Bangalore, or is it, you know, more like, okay, I want to have regional stuff in these cities, right? I would love to know that, Ankit.
1: So Jivraj, there are two aspects. One is a national brand and second is a national cuisine. I can tell you categories which are not meant to be national biryani. It's very, very tough to build a large national brand because of the various changes in the flavor. Like a lot of my uh, chef team members say that biryani taste changes every 200 kilometers. And we've done that. We go 200 kilometers outside of biryani, the the dunne-style biryani from here changes to a Nati style biryani. So that's how it happens. So I think there are cuisines which can definitely be national. So we'll first talk about cuisine and then come to brands. So I think a lot of snacks, you know, the Indian snacks, samosa, poha, they have some regional nuances. But a large national brand can be created. The challenge there is the AOV. You can't have a very really large Samosa brand. Samosa Singh and Samosa Party are really good products by the way. And now they're adding chart and it's becoming a comprehensive business. And I believe, you know, they're building a good business as a customer. I'm very happy eating the product. So that's a very national product. The other example of a regional product, which cannot scale really well is any thali brand, you know? So if you look at Rajdhani. It's a national, it's a North Indian thali brand, which also sells a little bit in South India, but it's the, the product is very, very North Indian. So people will not go there for a daily eating. It is a speciality food. You know, that, so thalis or meals are very local. If you go to the, you know, I don't know if you've been to Bangalore's, uh, you know, like, like, it's a meals place. So people go there for Telugu thalis. But if you go to Haldiram, the Thali's definition is very, very different, right? So the Indian cuisine is a very, uh, you know, difficult Indian speciality cuisine is a very difficult, uh, you know, category to build brand, but you can build a brand national brand in cuisines, which are more cross-cutting like desserts, which is why deserts, ice creams, you know, they have so many brands, I think so many new age brands have come in N I C ice creams, naturals, of course, the Gyanis, which was in Delhi now is scaled to so many cities. So, ice cream is very, very cross-cutting, similar flavor. So, that's one nuance. So, we have to pick categories which can go national. We have picked two categories there. One, cake, where our national brand is cake zone uh, Like Domino's, the top five SKUs are same everywhere. Chocolate, truffle, red velvet, black forest, you know. So, those three are the top three. You go to a tier two city in North India or a tier four city in East India, you'll have these three in the top five every night. So, that's one. The second category which we are going uh, with national is... Better for you. So what we do with EatFit. So EatFit also has changed through the pandemic. Earlier, it was a strict health brand. We realized that the TAM was much smaller. So Now we are a better for you product. So we do a lot of baked stuff. So we'll do baked paratha, baked samosa, you know, uh, we'll do uh, whole wheat pasta, whole wheat So all the popular items which people eat across the country. We just look at the top 10 SKUs in every city and we just make it Baked, no oil, no sugar, jaggery first, stuff like that. So people eat it when they still want to indulge, but they don't want to, uh, you know, eat like fully oily. The other category of eat fit continues to be a very large category for us, which is salads and all the the original eat fit construct. And salads also, whosoever wants to eat healthy will have a same taste across the country. The categories which we know we can't take national biryani, we have got two brands. We'll do more. The other category where we don't think we're building a national brand yet is pizza. There, the reason is that every we figured that the open space actually lies in craft pizza. You know, wood fired or sourdough or you know something on those lines. Because Domino's plus uh, Pizza Hut plus Oven, Oven Story plus Mojo, it's already a very crowded place and all of those are very big brands. So we figured that the real space lies in gourmet pizza. And one opportunity could have been to go and build out a brand which would have been a 3 to 6 to 12 months, 0 to 1 and then 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. Or we looked at regional heroes and that's a big strategy for us, Jivraj, where we actually go and pick the top pizza brand in respective cities. Juno's Pizza in Pompeii, oven Fresh Pizza in uh, Chennai, Nomad Pizza in, in uh, NCR and Olio in Hyderabad. Now, these four serve very similar products. They already were very popular in the respective cities. We are not looking to take them national right now, but they will expand in their own geographies. So, Juno, uh, Nomad is now in Jaipur and Chandigarh. Juno's will go to Ahmedabad, Surat and Pune from Bombay. Olio uh, will go to Chennai. So we are looking at slowly expanding to other geographies. One open question is there, which we don't know the answer to is whether we will rename all of them to a single brand someday. Maybe, maybe not. Right now it's working. The local hero, you know, the idea of you know make people people feeling that they're ordering from a craft place or a cute little you know cafeteria which is serving really good food. Because I think they're at least small yet significant a uh, Chunk of people who don't like to order from large corporations, right? Like they would say that, in the moment they'll get to know, here, here is this outlet, ho then they will say, nice, god. Like, perception is that 10 outlets means the food is gone to dogs. So, we for pizza, given that the insight is that people are looking to really move up the ladder and order like a ten dollar pizza, like, sorry, Satsur, make pizza was a difficult thing to order earlier you now. You know, across these four or five brands, we're selling over 5,000 pizzas, you know, at that price point a day. So that's the thesis and extending the logic on local heroes, the two or three national brands that we create, we will do a lot of media. We will do TV ads, print ads, a lot of social media, celebrities, but local heroes should have their own strength. When we acquired them, they already were three outlets, four outlets, at least 10,000 people in a city who are absolute crazy about their brand. And they continue to do well because we just slowly expand that. We don't take it to like, we don't do a, like a 10 to hundred in like one year, we do 10, 15, 20, 25, so that the entrepreneurs can retain the you know control on the product. And the customer also should not feel that there'll be a large corporation that is has gone to dogs. So so local heroes is the labels I was talking about, the 10 to 12 labels that we have. And the national brand is definitely it fit cake zone, and maybe one more, which I think will be the pizza brand. So that's what the internal debate right like now is happening. That if we retain the love. Uh, of the customers, even a large national brand, we should do it. So that could be the third brand we're working on. The other big brands that we have, which, you know, can qualify to become national brand is a brand called frozen bottle. It's a milkshake brand. Again, the top four, but top, top four, there is a chocolate, strawberry, you know, like, you know, so that right now is a South and West brand. I think the moment it goes to North, you can to it a national brand. And lastly, uh, one of our largest biryani brand is Sharif Bhai. We have taken a very, very conscious call to, to keep it South only
0: got it I I love the nuance there thanks for going into a lot of depth I think it clarifies for any F&B builder how to you know strategize some of these things especially if they're looking beyond their local geographies and even if they are looking at local geographies how can they expand it so I think that was a complete masterclass on that aspect but it's interesting right you were talking about these expansion strategies and and I'm sure a lot of founders debate this in their head as to how to manage between depth and breadth right Uh, there can be a lot of things around okay we should scale and you know dominate each category degree right away and then maybe look at the depth of geographies there or or we can look at expanding 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 or restrict ourselves to a couple of geographies right so if you had to maybe you know comment on how you look at breadth versus depth how you look at geographical expansion what are some of the design principles that internally take place or that founders can refer to when looking at their respective expansions I think that would be really very very interesting and I think goes unheard because as a consumer we're just consuming these products right we don't know what happens in the background.
1: Yes. So Jivrad, I think my first instinct to the question is that you know depth is the answer. Because you know? so breadth is not something which is a choice. It's an outcome. The choice is always the depth where, you know, you actually say that I go build something and I build it until it gets to zero to five or zero to four and zero to four or five is operational profitability and everything else there. So, so I think for most founders, that should be the mantra and that's what we do at Foods as well. The unit for us, the unit measurement is not brand level profitability, but a kitchen level profitability because... All of these brands come out of one kitchen. So we don't expand to a new city until the kitchen EBITDA of those cities are as per design. While it may look from outside, don't know, we, run, oh, we run 10, 12 brands slash labels, we run uh, 15 city business. But the discipline there is on depth of kitchens in every city. Bangalore has 22 kitchens and NCR has 18 and Bombay has 20. But... Now the second wave of expansion will be when these cities get to 30, 35, 40 each, and then only we go to Kolkata, Guwahati, and you know, East India. So, so I think this. If I also look at you know all the other work that we have done in the past or I have done in the past, there could be times where you know we have spread ourselves too thin on you know uh, doing too many things together, too many brands together, too many categories together. Each time when we have done a postmortem or an analysis of what went wrong, the answer has been too many initiatives, too thin, too thinly staffed teams on those, too much. Proliferation of projects in the team, mid-level to junior people running important projects. As a result of that, not saying that they can't do a great job, but then of course, you know, you need to be able to give a tight oversight at least on those projects. Once you start, you know, proving your thesis in the core business area, core product area, then you can start thinking of, you know, larger uh, expansion. So if it's a if it's a horizontal retailer, then adding more categories. If it's a player like us, roll-up commerce player like us then it could be, you know, adding more brands. Uh, you know, if it's a single brand, you know, like a beauty brand, then adding more categories, start with makeup, then this and that. So I think all of this would work only if the main product that you were working on was profitable. One last point on this, Sivraj, is that a lot of times the zero to one product is not be, in actually in most cases, the zero to one product is not the scale product. And the mistake you know, which a lot of us have done or continue to do is that we make the zero to one product, which is a cute product or a customer uh, engagement product as a burn machine. So if you can you know, build a product, which is uh, really good, uh, something which has a lot of customer love, then at least have it at break even, and use that platform to identify the next 10x growth. But I think because at the beginning of the beginning of the conversation, I spoke about zero to one and how a lot of creative thinkers, you know, are doing well there because of a result of that, you know, the product categories which are chosen are always chosen in a niche because we need to get the first thousand customers and it can't be, you know, by building our next Flipkart. It can be, you know, by building a small marketplace for comics only, right? But that won't take you to one to ten.
0: I I think that's super interesting, especially because I think a lot of discipline, focus and intellectual honesty is what I am observing on that front. But lovely to know how, you know, young brands can also keep that discipline alive. I think the other aspect, Ankit, here is the supply chain, right? Uh, Another one of those things that maybe gets missed as a customer because we are seeing the end outcome. But to get in alignment amongst all of these kitchens, have supply chain efficiency, operational brilliance there must be a difficult challenge in and of itself, right? Also, the second part to that is the fact that since you're acquiring some of these brands, the integration between some of these kitchens might be more difficult as well, right? Because if we take a traditional cloud kitchen multi-brand approach, they are probably building it from the same kitchen and expanding on top of it. So there's no inorganic infusion, but in terms of acquisitions, that must be happening. Any thoughts around how you manage supply chain, operational brilliance?
1: So Jivraj, two questions there. One is operations and second is integration. So one of our largest teams is the integration team you know, so we, I think the best talent in the company, you know, is working on that project because we have designed a kitchen, keeping in mind that at least 25% new brands will come into those kitchens every year, either because we churned out the old brands, and we need a new brand, or even if in a non-obvious case of all brands firing every year, we will still acquire one or two brands. So kitchens are not designed for brands. I think, I've seen some uh, multi-brand kitchens in India and abroad. Been doing some research, and I figured, and again, it's completely my point of view. I'm not here to you know profess anything, but I feel that a lot of people have taken an approach of making it like a co-working space, where every brand has been allocated a station, and that makes the process extremely you know non-scalable. And here I'm giving out a trade secret that we, the way we have done it is we have defined lines. It's an Indian cuisine line. It's a pizza cuisine line. It's a dessert cuisine line and you know, all of that. And that allows us to add any brand in that line. The product, the business model is simple. That same set of people will cook all the brands that are in the kitchen. So when I say same set, I'm not saying that the pizza guy will do the. that. Also, I really hope to get there one day. We still have 50%, you know, unique skill set, but an Indian guy will cook all Indian brands, whether it's a eat fed or a home plate or a great. Industry. Likewise, uh, we're getting there where a pizza guy can operate a brick oven or an electric oven. And, a, you know, uh, like just a microwave, like a very basic OTG, you know, because we have different kinds of problems. So thus, that's the way we integrate. It. We have, even evolving in a way where all our kitchens are very future proof that we should be able to add a Chinese brand. We, we really want to do that. We, we we suffer there. We don't have a Chinese brand. We want to do ice creams of two, three different categories. You know, should also be able to do that ready to do Sunday, you know, like, like the chopping board kind of <laughs> Sunday you know, should also be possible. So we are just defining the kitchen in that way. Now coming to the operations, right? So yes, I think the multi-kitchen operations alongside multi-channel sales. So we sell on Swingy Zomato and our own brand websites. Each brand has a website. 20% revenue of the group comes from the brand websites. So brand website requires you to have your own logistics teams also. And we also have a hub and spoke model for our cooking. 50% cooking gets done in the central kitchen, gets transported by road to all our kitchens every day, in some cases twice a day. So that hub and spoke model is of course a known model. Most companies, whether even e-commerce companies do that for their deliveries. So that is a known even. Just that it requires a lot of work. And I think that's a big moat. You know, tomorrow, if I have to see, of course, the scaled up companies are doing it well, but tomorrow, you know, some, even like the best chef in India, if he wants to design a multi-brand kitchen, the ability to design that hub and spoke at scale requires you to have a lot of logistics skills. I am also not an expert. of. I have a team which has built logistics in the country for the last 10 years across different categories. And I think that's one area where India is miles ahead of most countries, except US and China, like if you go to any other country and look at how the last mile or anything, it's amazing how so many companies have come up, you know, delivery, legendary company listed now, Ecom Express, and even the traditional companies which were earlier, you know, mostly documents, kind of couriers, and documents and packages are now doing so well on e-commerce deliveries, right? So DTDC and Blue Dots, everyone. So I think that's one area which is, I, know, I would I let would like Flipkart take the credit that they set the ecosystem in shape and they're doing so well. So logistics is one thing, which is a tough problem, but sorted the tougher problem is just the, the kitchen management part, you know, like managing four lines. So the structure is still evolving. And that another that is another mode, you know? So if you look at any large five-star hotel kitchen, it's actually a multi-brand, multi-cuisine kitchen, right? At least the base kitchen, but they're not as technology. So they are very high on hardware automation, but still not on software automation. So our kitchen uh, works exactly how a warehouse in Flipkart would work. Where you know, if an order comes, you know people would know exactly where the packet is or someone would, they'll get a pick list. They'll know exactly where the packet is. Then there's a pack list and there's a dispatch list. So if an order comes, we know that, okay, it's an order for a fruit pop oatmeal bowl, one of our largest selling products. So we know that the oatmeal base is in the fridge. You know, you know that you have to chop the, because it'll all be part of a tech-assisted cooking. You need to chop the fruits and put it in a container and then you have to add the almonds and raise it the stopping. Then you have to pack it and then put it in the right brand packet. Now, because ten brands are shipped from one kitchen, so you also need to pick the right brand packet. You can't be sending your what we bowl in a you know uh, uh, nomad pizza packet. It has to go in the eat fit packet. So that all is tech driven, but it's a big mode, but a really complex problem. I think uh, this is where. All our future growth lies. This is where all our future sustenance lies. And if we are able to really crack this model well, right now we are at 150 kitchens. If we are able to scale this to 500 kitchens, it will be a huge win for us. You know, 500 kitchens is actually a 500 million revenue business that we can build.
0: I think for sure uh, this is a very, very tactical and very, very helpful in my opinion. And as you said, right, you a lot of foresight there as to what five years down the line the brand would look like. And building for that is, I think, one of the best takeaways for any young builder as well, right? You have to know where you're headed and prepare for it from now itself. This has been fantastic. I think we've covered a lot of different aspects to the business. I want to take another gear to the conversation and understand how maybe you know teams internally are structured because at the forefront this looks like a design problem where a lot of horizontal things exist while there are also vertical problem statements, right? So different brands, different teams and stuff like that. If you can give us a precursor to how do you manage this within the organization, right? What is the organizational design that facilitates something like this? I think that will be very interesting to hear, Ankit.
1: So I think we've got a few horizontals and a few vertical. So uh, technology and uh, technology product and design is brand marketing is a horizontal, which cuts across all brands, uh, business finance, accounting, finance, and HR. These are four very clear horizontals, which cuts across all brands and all entities, because there are entities, which their brands which still run as entities where company itself is still not, you know, part of the company. We own the company, but is running as a company. So these are across all the food. The food product is, Very fragmented and rightly so. Right now we think it's the best design. All the entrepreneurs whom we work with, whom we acquired, they continue to be their own food design experts because we acquired them for the fact that they were food design experts. Their product was so good. So that is actually fairly fragmented. I spent some time there. We have a large R&D team who holds it together. So that's one area which is fairly fragmented. There is a lot of lack of structure by design because that's the creative work. If we, if we it, then it's gone. The other horizontal is the central kitchen, which does most of the pre-work for all brands. So that's the part of the integration. Most brands when we acquire or partner with, they come with their own central kitchen. Over time, we want to shut down their central kitchen and integrate to ours because we run four large central kitchens across different parts of the country. The cloud, cloud kitchens is again, you know, one, one team which runs this cloud kitchens, but they're multi-brands. The brands which work with us, they don't have to do much in the cloud kitchen because their job stops at the designing of the product. In some rare cases, which is a complex product, we do handhold it much later you know, like biryani and craft uh, pizza, two categories where we, you know, do handholding till much later, etc. And uh, then the growth and digital marketing is one team, which is 70-80% integrated, 20-30% more integrated because again, there could be some entrepreneur, some brand partner who has a strong point of view on how digital marketing or communication should be done. So the food design is the most, unfrag- most fragmented. Everything else is getting towards more structure.
0: Got it, got it. No, I caught that fragmented by design sort of a line, which is very important to see, right? I think for other companies, parallels will exist in their innovation wing, which is doing, you know, product innovation.
1: Yeah, for brand agencies, brand marketing agencies, all the all the creative thinking is now, you know, like almost like gig economy. They put out a problem statement to 100 copywriters and then they choose the best. So it's almost like that.
0: Yeah, I know. Love that. I think those are super cues. But I think the second aspect to team is, you know, while we understand the org design across places, you've seen, you know, scale teams and leaders do really well with Flipkart, CureFit, and now with Cure Foods. Any cues in terms of what founders can do best to, ensure a generational company right like how do you ensure attrition rates are low how do you ensure culture is on point right I- i'm talking very horizontal here very broad surface level but your learnings in terms of culture will be super crucial to gather so anything for future founders who are building you know these companies from maybe like a 0.5 to the next uh, set would be really helpful on right
1: so jivraj uh culture is a very uh hard-coded thing while it's a very soft aspect, but what you want your organization to look like is actually defined in the first two, three years of the company. And there you need to like really keep iterating the pieces almost like a propaganda, you know, that what you what you what you're trying to build. You know, because if you're trying to build a Toyota, then you will not become a Maruti. Both are great organizations, but each of them have their own culture. So at least knowing that you're building Toyota or a Maruti or a you know Chrysler, you should you should know what you're trying to build. Having said that. The toolkit to deploy culture is values. You know, so value system of the companies. why I am saying it's hard coded because it's actually defined. You know, every company puts out a vision, mission, value. So for us, we have a purpose. We have a purpose statement which says that you know uh, we exist to make honest food that customers love. We're not saying healthy food; we're saying honest food. If it has twenty grams of sugar, it's not advisable, but we should call it out. We should not say that sugar, come sugar and you know stuff like that. So, and we we try to minimize chemicals wherever. So, that's the later part of you know, the part. But purpose is very clear. We are trying to bid better food. And why we say customer love? Because the conversation is the food is better, you know, people don't like it. <laughs> so, so you have to spend extra time to make a jaggery gulab jamun, a baked Jaggery gulab jamun loved by customers. So attrition with you will know, get a one-on-five rating. And the last iteration will be 4.515. Still never be 515. But our aim is to make better food 4.5. So that's the reason we exist. And the culture is defined by the three core values that we have. We have love for food as value. People who are working in this company should be crazy about food. I am and all my team members are because we cannot serve or sell food unless we are mad about Of course, to balance out the aspect, we are also a very sporty organization. We play a lot of sports, but that's not defined as values, but that's an underlying theme in the company. And you start attracting similar people because we do like three times a day food tasting. So we may as well, you know, need to burn those calories. So love for food. Second is act like an owner. We run 150 facilities Shivraj, and four warehouses and thousands of vehicles are moving our food every day in the country, whether B2B or, whether kitchen to kitchen or kitchen to customer. If people are not able to take decisions or are not acting like full owners, there will be a lot of chaos because there'll be times when a person feels that food has gone bad and still they have to take a call on either side of the call, right? Whether to serve it or not. When there is a delay happening you know, should I, should I ship out four pizzas versus six, six orders? Hai, four pizzas. I would, I would take that call of shipping out four and second sending a second boy with the remaining two, but that's again, not a very obvious call because you can't, codify all edge cases no? so you have to take calls so ownership is very important in a highly distributed model starbucks has done that really well i think store managers are the end owners we have not been able to achieve that but we will get there eventually for sure and the last one is do more with less super important we are a very frugal organization we are borderline you know almost you know sometimes I feel that, you know, team overdoes it and we become pennywise pound foolish kind of thing. But I think I'm okay to err on that side because margins are super tough to come by. You know, it's been, it's been the toughest period for any food company the last one year. Inflation has been skyrocketing, fuel costs, delivery costs, like every line item of inflation hits us. Whether it's commodity, food or oil and and dollar, all the AWS and everything, like everything just hits us. So we have to be very frugal. So this is what defines us. But also a good culture, Jivraj does not really mean that attrition will be low. In fact, you know, uh, maybe it will be an unpopular opinion, but there should be high attrition. If 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 you believe what you're building is out there. See, one is that there could be a flaw. What I expect to build versus what's out there. Then there is introspection required by the management team and correction required. But if you largely feel that you know the fabric of the organization is closer to what you're trying to build, and still there's attrition, then those are misfits on either side. It could be like really I'm not saying that the like, error lies with the employee. The error is with us, probably, you know, because we are a frugal organization. So maybe we don't have like foosball tables and TD tables in our office as a small example. And maybe that is the expectation of maybe that's table stakes for all engineering uh, you know candidates now. So so this movement, which cannot be discovered even with a seven, eight hour in a process where it's a one hour, five people meet one hour and then one, one round of just knowing each other, <laughs> all the creative interviewing process will not give you so. Early attrition is good. I would be worried only if my best performing fit already fit people, you know, so already people are fit into the company. I mean 18 to 36 period month period. I also feel that's the highest productivity period. If that's the time when people start leaving, it's either because they're so good that they're getting a 40% paycheck, So then we've not sold the ESOP story. Well, that's a challenge. There are people who buy the ESOP story and they will not but it's a real story. People have made millions of dollars. Hundreds of thousands of people have made millions of dollars now, you know, through ESOP. So that's one very important job of a founder who's confident about the ESOP story. Their conviction should be there. But if it's for 10%, 20% jump to a, uh, you know, smaller company or jump for a title change, you know, then these are motivations which are not getting subdued by the culture that you've built and the growth you're showing to the employee. And that's what worries me. There are cases, you know. Market last year was crazy. It was unbelievable what's happening. People were getting 50% jump straight because there were companies which were new, hyperfunded, looking to build business in zero to like zero to one in like three months. But that's changed, and uh, engineering salaries are also are a much saner level now. Thankfully. So I feel that you know, if you know your toolkit, which is purpose plus values, then half the job is done. Then it's all about deployment. And creating rituals around that you know for love for food we may have a ritual that you know we do a food walk often you know we just say ki 7 a.m we'll start in one part of bangalore and try five different dosas you know, that's an example yeah so for for uh, act like an owner we have a lot of spot awards on examples where customers write that this happened and this happened and we immediately reward the you know the team member on the floor and do more with less than that exists you know, the, the value in the company like, roi is the most used word in the company whether it is you know dogram dogra dogram ghee add kar dete to ratings improve then what will our retention improve and if retention improves, marketing goes down cost goes down so everything is linked to roi
0: Awesome. No, I think that's brilliant. I'm, I'm hearing two things. The latter part is especially so useful, right? Values are only as good as the manifestation and the practice of it. So valuing those values is like very, very important. And that's lovely. Yeah,
1: otherwise, it just becomes a
0: decoration on the wall. Exactly. So I think, you know, echoing that is so important. And knowing the kind of organization you're building and the different perspective on attrition, I think all of those things are very good food for thought. This is lovely. I think I have absolutely loved how tactical you've been throughout this conversation. And I think it gives us a very ringside view of your thought process. As we bring this to a close, right? I have a similar set of uh, questions that I ask most founders. This is more personal in nature. uh, And we'll close with that. But the first part there is, you know, uh, you have a philanthropic side to you and you are a, sports fake from my research. Uh, if you can talk to us about, you know, what the purpose of your life in terms of entrepreneurship as well as the way you look at life as an individual is as well. And how does sport and simply sport, if I'm not wrong, fit into that perspective. I think it's a great echoing factor and a lot of people should know about it, at least those listening to this. So would love to know more about that ankit
1: I think uh you know the whole purpose of uh, or identifying purpose on what you want to do at a larger level. Happens over time. And uh, if you have some success under the belt and you know, you know that profits or profitability is not the only reason why you exist. And you, know, you should also have some other approach approaches as well to life. Then it's a great discovery for me. It happened a while back and I figured that, you know, being able to create impact to enable people to live better lives is something which I really, really you know resonate with. And the other area which I really resonate with is because of the unfulfilled desire to be a sports person at a, at the national, of course, I've played uh, at different levels, but you know, representing the country or representing your state at the highest level is something which is very important. I could not do it because of the conventional route that I took, uh, like most people. So while I was at cult, you know, a lot of our trainers were actually ex-athletes, and that's the reason why cult became the product. Athletes bring a lot of discipline and overall training. Fitness training was something right up the alley. So I figured that so many of the ex-athletes are not able to find the best livelihoods, you know, purely because there are no opportunities. If you're a, imagine a 31 year old athlete whose career has ended because he's 31. You know, sports careers end at that age, in many sports. And now you have to restart your entire thing at the age of 31, 32. And you don't have any hard skills uh, to, you know, become a sales head of a company. You have all the soft skills, your discipline, you're hardworking, you train well, you you can motivate people, but you don't have the hard skills. So this unfortunate thing I discovered. So with simply sport, uh, we are trying to do a couple of things. One, we are trying to enable grassroots sports, basically using sports as a way to uplift the the morale of the people, of the young kids. Basically, give them a platform, give them a voice, give them some self-esteem that okay, I play football really well. I can run 100 meters in 30 seconds. You know, so all of these are some softer aspects which you know people love. And uh, they are able to really benefit in their lives. Of course, a par- small portion of that we use as a scouting program and then put them through a more detailed uh, or more uh, oriented program. The other side of the Simply Sport Foundation is people who have already been athletes. We are trying to give them a platform to you know, find jobs for them, train them, coach them. So that's the other programs that we run. And uh, we do this through a lot of partnerships. Uh, we are almost like a you know, scouting program for NGOs and not only sports. So we identify sports NGOs because we don't have a large team. We have a six, seven number team and we don't want to build an on-ground team right now for scouting and support. So there are a lot of great motivated individuals. Most of them ex-corporate you know, honchos, gave up their jobs, running ecosystems like these in Hyderabad, Kolkata. Unbelievable, you know, what people are doing, you know, to support their communities and sports is a very common theme. So we are working with a lot of them. We support through technology, money is the easiest to be honest, but technology, money, nutrition support, mental wellness, you know, menstruation support, a lot of young girls, you know, play sports. Start dropping out, you know, when they when they hit puberty, menstruation, and over the three four years they drop out because it's just so difficult to manage during the period. So, so we have been now running an awareness program. We've done coaching for thousands of coaches, not only athletes but actually coaches because you know coaches really need to be told how to deal with a menstruating athlete. So we're working on all of these programs. It's something which is extremely close to my heart. I'm able to spend a few hours a week, but uh, lucky enough to build a strong team there of uh, ex-athletes and really motivated
0: people. Got it. No, that, that, that's wonderful. I think that's such an important and crucial aspect of giving back to society. And, you know, just uh, if uh, some people have been lucky enough and, you know, have hard worked their way through life, can you give back to other folks who's also? So I think that speaks a lot to your persona as well. So, Great to hear that, Ankit. I think for the last question, right, and this has been a very, very fantastic conversation, I would love to just know on a personal side as to how you have evolved because we've of course seen the scale at which a Flipkart is at, a CureFit is at, and I'm sure Cure Foods will beat all of those hopefully someday. How, how do you look at your own personal evolution through the last 12-15 years of building organizations and what is it that keeps you going to date? I think that would be a lovely thing to hear and bring this to a great Close, Ankit.
1: Right. I think uh, just to you know, make one point that I actually believe that your foods cannot beat Flipkart uh, purely because you know the, the way Flipkart has been built or the time at which it was built, it was a unique company. Uh, the first, it was always the, it's, it's always been the largest startup in the country. From 2009 till even today is the largest startup and the sheer size and the volume is just a mammoth and I hope it continues to I, I really, my real aspiration is to build your Foods as a listed company. That will be the first, you know, that will be the first of the, uh, how I've evolved is actually a summary of how my work at Flipkart and Cult and now, I think, uh, I believe that I am more long-term right now. I'm okay to take very long-term bets. And I think that's a function of having some success on the bed. Like I said, you no, know, you're not so, you know, you're not so restless about getting success, getting, some money in bank and you then you are saying that, okay now I'm sorted on this okay, this part how do I think for the next 10 years and right now my approach is truly that right now I'm able to take uh, bets for three years five years seven years, 10 years hopefully they play out the way I've been planning but I think I'm more, uh, more uh, rooted in the current current reality but also uh, very clear about what the next 10 years look like I feel that had I had this approach five years later back or 10 years back I would have been a better resource for flip card or cult, uh, you know, because you end up taking a lot of decisions, which are very short term purely because of your own personal hurry, And that's where a lot of it, it happens in sports. It happens in companies. It happens in personal life that, you know, you need to pace yourself as per the situations requirement, but we end up pacing ourselves as per personal aspirations. And that's, I think, been the big learning that I think I'm able to pace myself better now. So that's the big change I would say I
0: have. Lovely, awesome. Long-term thinking and Cure Foods as a listed company in the future. And that's a lovely way to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Ankit, for being on the show. I have certainly enjoyed each bit of the conversation, especially because of how tactical we were, how practical we were uh, and how it has progressed. Thank you so much for being on. I hope you enjoyed it as well.
1: It was a great experience, Zubrash. Thank you. Thank you so much
0: for having me. Awesome. With that, we come to the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're finding value with the podcast, do follow it on the audio streaming platform of your choice, drop in a review, and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox Thanks again I will see you next week for another episode Till then I hope you record If you never try you'll never know Stay tuned and keep building